Welcome to episode 6 of the Latin Mass Project. Today we're going to be talking about some of the basic types of masses and even get into a little of the history of some of them. So once again, I'm Michael Sauter, and this is Joseph Gunyevich. Hey, Michael. Hi, Joe. It's good to be here once more. It's very good to be here, Michael. So last time we um, went through sort of the basic structure of the Mass, we you know talked about the Mass of the Catechumens, Mass of the Faithful, um, and sort of briefly outlined uh, the parts. I mean, we were talking about the Latin Mass, but the Latin Mass can be sort of done in different ways. So for instance... Not every Latin Mass is sung. I mean, sometimes you go and it's just all spoken and it's very quiet uh, because most of the time it's spoken silently. Um, so is so there's a difference here because other times you have a full choir and everyone's singing and the priest is chanting. So what's the difference here? What are we, these different types of Masses or something? Yeah, so most mostly when you are going to Mass in the Reformed Mass, you probably go there and you see uh, and, and you hear the priest and the people talking back and forth to each other. Right, right yeah, the Novus yeah. Ordo, right. Yeah, yeah. the Novus Ordo, you have um, some parts are sung, they might sing the glory or something, and right, they yeah. just talk the rest. Then you go to the Latin Mass, and you see you basically have two options. <laughs> Either everything is sung, including the back and forths, Dominus Obiscum et Cum Spirito Tuo, and all the rest, or none of it is sung and, sung, and you might have an opening hymn, or you might not, right? Yeah. You might be able to hear it, or you might not. Well, whether or not you can hear it, this is the two basic distinctions of the types of the traditional Latin Mass. There is the sung Mass, which is also called the High Mass, because he speaks it in a high voice, a loud voice, right? Yeah. And then there's the spoken Mass, which is also called the Low Mass. In in Latin, this is the Misa Cantata or the Misa in Cantu, and that means the sung Mass, the High Mass, yeah. or the Misa in Dictu, that means the spoken Mass. And there's two types of Masses that sum up the two ways of doing the Mass. Okay. But we could have even other types, too. I mean, so for instance, uh, isn't it not true that a priest himself could essentially say a Mass? He doesn't need... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So for instance, you could have what's called a a private Mass, which is uh, a Mass with one or two servers, but not necessarily any congregation. It's probably not published as as uh, uh, an open mass and right. you can have a public mass which is a mass in front of everybody who is there and one form of private mass is the solitary mass um, which is a mass that the priest does by himself this was forbidden in the church for quite a while um it's apparently not forbidden since the 1960s and priests can offer the mass without any altar service in which case they hmm. make the responses themselves now so they would yeah. say the priest would say dominus vobiscum et cum spirito tuo instead of the <laughs> service saying et cum spirito tuo right back to him it's still not ideal so sure. a private mass ought ideally to have a few servers at least present but it doesn't have to have a congregation present versus a public mass does. Another distinction would be the conventual mass. The conventual mass is said principally in monasteries, but it used to also be said in cathedrals and parishes, and it was said immediately after terce. Remember, terce takes place at nine in the morning, and the Acts of the Apostles informs us it was at nine in the morning that the Holy Spirit fell down mm-hmm. upon the church. Right. So the opening hymn of terce is a hymn to the Holy Spirit, and terce is... is um, 
uh, an hour that is uh, an hour of the divine office, which we haven't really talked about, but the divine office involves the singing of psalms, and this hour is done in honor of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't actually take an hour. It takes about 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then immediately afterwards, you have the conventual mass. And at the conventual mass, all of the clerics, and if it's a religious order, all of the religious come together and they participate in the same mass, which is offered by one person in the West. In the in the East, they have something called concelebration. Um, and... We are, and the Novus Ordo have con celebration right, yeah, as well. Right. But in the Latin Tridentine Mass, there's only two examples of con celebration. One of them is when a priest has just been ordained, he can celebrate the Mass with the bishop. Uh, um, and that's the only time in the traditional Latin Mass where the canon is said out loud so that the priests who have just been ordained can hear it and say the words at the same time. And the uh, other example is since um, the 1955 Reform of Holy Week, the Chrism Mass has been concelebrated. But concelebration is pretty much unknown in the West. Um, so concelebration is when you have multiple priests offering one single victim on the altar, one single sacrifice. And so they all say the words of consecration together. Um, they are as they're representing the one priesthood of Christ. So they all yeah. participate in the one priesthood of Christ. And the ideal is to have the bishop, who really represents Christ, <clears throat> surrounded by all of his priests, saying the words of the Mass together, consecrating one victim as representing one Christ. But there's no real history of that in the West. That's that's much more of an Eastern sort of custom. Oh, okay. um, now... Do we have time? I, I could go through a few of the historical distinctions that aren't there anymore. Uh, sure, why not? Yeah, so, so, well, the first one is still there. We have the distinction between the Mass and the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified. The Mass of the Pre-Sanctified exists one time in the year now, and since 1955, it's no longer called the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified, but it's called the Solemn, very very fancy term, the Solemn Liturgical Action of the Passion and Death of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's it's the Good Friday Liturgy. Right, yeah. And some people are very firm in saying, it's not a Mass, it's not a Mass, it's a Liturgy. Well, its older term was the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified, um, and it's, it's basically a form of the liturgy that takes takes away all of the consecration and the like and instead offers a a vic the victim that had been um consecrated on holy thursday and this form this pre-sanctified liturgy is also done much more often in the east where it's done throughout the week uh, during lent and in the milanese rite it's done every friday but in the west mm. it's done once a year now historically there's something very similar to this mass of the pre-sanctified, which is a mass that um, it's a mass that doesn't have a consecration, right? And that's called the misa yeah. sica. So the misa sica is a dry mass, which means they go through the prayers, but they don't actually say the consecration. Ah, okay. And this <laughs> developed in the Middle Ages. Sometimes monks would um, say the uh, dry mass after the main mass of the day. They go back to yeah. their cell and they say all the prayers of the mass without a consecration. <laughs> in some places, 
they would actually raise relics. <laughs> They'd raise relics instead of the Eucharist at the time of the elevation. Wow. Yeah. Very, very, very bizarre. They'd sometimes do the Misa Sika, the dry masses, during uh, times where they couldn't do a regular mass. So, for instance, um, uh, if they were on a ship and the rolling of the waves made it impossible, mm-hmm. or sometimes hunters would be in a great hurry, and so they'd <laughs> want to cut things out of the mass. So they would do what was called a, a hunter's mass, right? You have those kind of kind of fun distinctions. Uh, the the most bizarre of them all was um, what was called the double or the triple mass. And the double or the triple mass would have um, uh, they would say all of the prayers of the mass through the sanctus, maybe two or three times, and then they would say the uh, canon from then on out. It was just it's a terrible, right, terrible yeah. thing. The idea behind <laughs> it was you could say the mass for three different intentions with in less time. Only thing right, is, you were really only saying one mass, so you were really being quite deceitful. Yeah, right. If we go back to that main distinction, the high versus low or the sung versus uh, spoken, does singing have a central role in the Mass such that the spoken Mass is sort of a lower form because it doesn't have it? I think that you might be able to say that. Uh, Certainly, we can say that that singing comes um, before speaking, um, in the sense of time, chronologically. I think mm. we can also say singing comes before speaking in the sense of its appropriateness for the Mass, because there is this sort of poetic element to the Mass of, of, of it being sort of a little bit like a, like a mm. love song to God, or it's hard to, hard to describe, but there's this poetic element of music that means we decorate what is most precious to us, most significant to us with music. And that was the way that it was always done. And the heavenly liturgy is um, pictured as being full of song. Filled with music. Yeah, filled with music. And so so the liturgy was always filled with music. Um, Of course, it's supposed to be an imitation of heaven, we remember antiphonality, singing back and forth, right, back and forth, yeah. like the angels, sanctus, 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 holy, 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 singing it back and forth. And so you have this element of the church, all of the members of the body of Christ, singing this song together to the Lord. And it's it, it takes on some sort of added meaning because it is a song. Yeah. And it also has that element of drama to it that we talked about in the first episode absolutely michael um so you mentioned that actually the sung version is earlier historically than the spoken which seemed maybe a little surprising because you would think the spoken is more simple right, right. So you that, go that to the first. no you go to the um you go to the latin mass and you go to a low mass and it's so simple and you say ha huh, this has to be more primitive look how simple it is <laughs> right right so what then is the the sort of basic back the historical background to this right so um once again we always run into the problems of the disciplina arcani and the lack of records from the very earliest ages but from the times that we have records we know that the mass was sung and it was actually sung um, 
much less frequently than we think of there being masses. So it's it was a big deal when it was sung, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you can ask the question, how do you move from having this sung, more complicated liturgy to this simpler spoken liturgy? And the answer it goes back to uh, how the liturgy was celebrated less often. Because the liturgy was celebrated less often, you would be able to put, you know, have more ministers present, have more preparation and, right, and the yeah. like. Right? But think of if you're celebrating the liturgy um, every day, and if every priest is celebrating the liturgy every day, how are you going to get a choir for every single priest in the world? You know, how are you going to <laughs> get a congregation for every single priest in the world? You just run into these practical difficulties. So they solved the practical difficulties by just having the priest say the parts that other ministers would have said. So the priest now just says the part of the choir. He just says the part of the deacon. Just says the part of the subdeacon, right? right. So, so you have this greatly simplified liturgy which is for the practical reason that that you now are saying the Mass much more frequently than you were before. Okay, so there's an advantage then to doing this, to having more Masses. Well, that's where the multiplication of Masses come from, because the thought is, well, if you have one Mass, you have one propitiatory sacrifice, which is of infinite value. If you have two Masses, you have twice that, right? You have... Sure. You have, you have you repeat the sacrifice, right? So each bass, each bass has its own value. And so they want to multiply it. Particularly, they want to multiply it for the sake of the dead, because you can mention the living and the dead in the Mass. Now, if you look back through our records, you find out that the first references to the Mass being celebrated daily are in about the third century, middle to late third century. But we know that at the time of St. Gregory in Rome, the Mass was only permitted to be celebrated once on Sunday. Now, St. Gregory says, uh, he's in the 6th century, so St. Gregory says that uh, he knew a priest who celebrated the Mass every day. <laughs> a priest. A priest, right. right. Uh, you go other places in the 6th century. Um, in Africa, they're celebrating the Mass on Wednesday and Friday and Sunday. You know, Some places, they're celebrating it on Saturday as well. But in Rome, it's only once a day. Now, skip three centuries later, and Leo III, Pope Leo III, is celebrating Mass as much as nine times in a day. <laughs> Clearly, something has changed, yeah, right? right? Now, Leo III is um, an extreme case, but throughout the 12th, 13th century, it was common enough to find priests offering the Mass three or four times. It was only in the 14th century that you are the Church stamps down upon this and says you can only offer the Mass once, except on Christmas— and in the case of necessity for funerals and you know multiple congrega- congregations and stuff like that. Yeah. But we got to ask what happens during this period of time between the 6th century and the 9th century when the number of masses just explodes. And what we discover is they just are adding days. So first they, they add all of the weekdays of Lent, and then they add the Ember days. And um, so they're adding days, and then mm-hmm. you get people wanting the grace of a Mass to be offered for particular Mm, cases. So monasteries want the grace of the Mass to be offered for their deceased monks. So they make a deal with other monasteries, with all the other monasteries, to offer a certain number of Masses. Well, if you're going to offer a certain number of Masses, you need—eventually it exceeds the number of days 
And so you can't just have everybody present at one mass. Uh, and so you begin multiplying it. Well, you get the, the devotional things, right? We want to have uh, more masses because each mass is a sacrifice. So each then each priest says, I want to be able to offer, offer a mass. And the living say, I, I want to uh, have a mass offered for myself, or I want my uh, lay people say, I want to have a mass offered for my deceased. And um, we have to admit that uh, some small part of this role, role of this was played by the tradition of giving a stipend for the mass, uh, which small stipends can can add up. So if yeah. you uh, so you get times and places where monasteries are um, getting some of their income, some good chunk of their income from people wanting masses offered. And that's, of course, where the abuses that we mentioned earlier, the the dry masses and the like, come from, because uh, if you can say offer one mass and have it the value of three masses, which you can't, yeah. then you get three stipends, right? <laughs> so all of these things are coming together: devotion, theology, and the desire of people uh, to have masses offered for the living and the dead, and it kind of forces them to have more and more masses. Hmm. But uh, obviously having these masses uh, be multiplied, um, I mean, you see in old churches the multiple altars. And so literally you could have uh, priests all saying the mass (laughs) at different altars at the same time. Um, and so you can't do that with sung masses, though, right? I mean, this has to be the the spoken mass we're talking about. Yeah, just imagine right. the cacophony of having <laughs> five or six sung masses all at once, choirs singing different things. Oh, it would be it'd be pretty pretty terrible. Yeah, have, have you ever seen any of those old pictures that are pretty cool of say a seminary with? 40 altars and 40 priests all saying mass all at the same time. It's really, really impressive. And I myself, we have witnessed at monasteries, um, say Clear Creek, I witnessed 14 priests celebrating mass at the same time. Um, And so you would just have this time of day in the morning. It was called, um, you know, we're for the low mass. And so all of the priests would go out there. Now, interestingly, the simplified rite of the low mass comes from the, the the desire to have multiple masses in a day. Something we do in the Latin churches, but the Eastern churches never never did. And they have a different structure to their church than we do. If you walk into an Eastern right. church, yeah. they will have one altar. Right. Walk into a Western church and. Uh, if it's any sort of traditional Western church, like a European church or something, the ch- altars will be spread all over. You'll yep. have you you know you sometimes see churches with 20, 30, 40 altars all around, and then you'll have a main altar called a high altar with an altarpiece rarados. Um, but it's so different to walk into a Byzantine church and see one altar versus all of these altars now. The original one was the one altar. In the earliest churches that were made in the shape of a crucifix, you would have one altar right at the crux of the crucifix, right where they, right where they, uh, the the two the cross piece joined, and that one altar would be all that you would need because you would offer one mass. And right. Yeah. Because you were offering one mass, you would do it with all of the ceremony, with the deacon and with the subdeacon, and you would do it with the choir, and then. Once you're offering so many masses, 
By necessity, to keep it in order, you offered in a low voice, hence the low mass. Almost just a whisper, because you can't have a choir and a deacon and a subdeacon. You offer it, the priest assumes the roles of all of those. And because you need to offer multiple ones at once, you surround the church with all these different altars. That changed Western Catholicism so much, because now we have the Mary altar and we have the Joseph altar. Even um, churches after Vatican II that only have one altar, they still have the statue of Mary and the statue of Joseph there. Right, right? and you know, sometimes (laughs) they even still refer to them as the Mary altar and the Joseph altar, even though there's no longer an altar attached to them. It had this profound impact on our spirituality Hmm. to develop the low mass. And it's worth noting that, especially for Americans who came out of, and our our Catholicism came out of an Irish tradition, and in Ireland, because of the persecutions of Catholicism, um, the high mass went extinct, basically. You would just have low masses. And so generations of Irish people who went over to the United States and influenced America thought of the mass as being a spoken liturgy. Yeah. And so then our experience of the Mass becomes a spoken liturgy. So now in the revival of the traditional Latin Mass, we're seeing something that almost didn't exist. Not not in its full form in the 1920s, the 1870s, the United States. I mean, go back. Just go back to a longer time ago. And you don't see these high Masses everywhere. Yeah. But when we talk about a Latin Mass, a Sunday Latin Mass, we're normally trying to get a high Mass there. And that is, of course, the ideal. If you're only having one Mass going on, the most ancient form is the Sung Mass. And uh, the the most proper, the ordinary form of the, of the extraordinary form is the high Mass, right? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much, Michael.